The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Thank you. Good morning, church. I should probably take this off. That'll make it a lot easier. Sometimes you just get used to that stuff, right? It's, uh, it's the reality of our new world. Our new reality is just a different one. And um, either way, it is such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Again, my name is Jared Ocelier. Don't worry, I can't pronounce my last name either. So if you don't figure it out, it's quite all right with me. This is an extra special Sunday being able to be here as a candidate to, to be one of your pastors. It is such an honor and a privilege to uh, just attend this church, to be a part of this family, but to get here to the place where I get to be able to serve you in this way potentially is exciting for me and my family. My family's motto has always been, anytime, any place, no matter the cost, Lord. And we thought it was a pretty high cost when God said, come to LA. I don't know if you know this, but uh, when you're raised in Northern California and you live in San Diego, the first thing they ask you is, do you promise to hate LA for the rest of your life? So for God to move us up here and to have us fall in love with Los Angeles is indeed miraculous. And, uh, and we have been falling in love with Los Angeles. It's a very, very special place to me. It seems to bring together the best of what I love about NorCal, the best of what I love about Dago. And so there is something very special about being here. And even more so, there is something uh, brought together in this church. This group of people together is very, very special. And so I'm very excited to be here. As Pastor Tyler mentioned, I've been pastoring for 20 years or so now. And after all that time, I am convinced that the church's most important job, the most important thing the church can do is to lead, model, and shepherd people into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. Healthy being the important word there. Jesus says that all scripture can be summed up in two ways, and that is to uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to love others, your neighbors, in the way that you love yourself. And one of the most important things about having a healthy relationship with Jesus is understanding that Sundays aren't actually about us. Wait, what? Sundays aren't actually about us. Do you know that we don't come to Sunday mornings to be better people or to be better Christians? No, Sunday is first and foremost a time for those of us who are apprenticing Jesus to, to, to come and to learn how to apprentice him better, to, to worship, to praise, to honor God, to give ourselves to him corporately as a group. We present ourselves to him as an offering as a group of people, that's what the church is. The church isn't a building. As we've discovered, the church is us together who are called together to do the mission that God has created us to be, uniquely gifted us to be, and sent us out to be in our everyday lives. As we meet with God, we certainly receive back joy. We certainly receive back healing. We certainly receive back change in our lives. We certainly receive restoration and hope. But those are the benefits of being with God, not the things that we worship in and of themselves. Secondly, this is an opportunity for those of you who are learning what it means to apprentice Jesus. Those of you here who are going, I'm not sure if I quite believe in Jesus yet. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. Welcome. This, you're a part of our family. We want you to know that this is a time for, for us to model what it looks like to have a healthy relationship to Jesus. 
that the gathering together is for, for us to figure out what it means to apprentice Jesus together, for us to model healthy relationships. As we worship Jesus together through music and teaching, we're resetting our hearts and our minds to be able to live out our worship every other day of the week because the reality is, is that most of what it means to be a Christian takes place Monday through Saturday and the rest of our lives are on the water coolers, in the workplace, around the dinner tables, in the conversations that we have with our friends, families, and coworkers. Make sense? Okay, a couple of you are with me. That's, you guys know it's okay to respond in church, right? Good. All right. Those of you online, I know you're responding. I can hear you. But the rest of us, God doesn't strike you down if you make noise in church. I promise. It's okay. All right. Well, as I was praying about what God wanted me to share with you this morning, this word rest kept coming up. And uh, it, just, it just kept coming up over and over. And then when I saw Tyler's, Pastor Tyler's message about rest the other day, I knew this was the conversation that God wanted us to have. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of rest. And I think it'll be really uh, timely this morning as we enter into this new year. And so if you would, would you open your Bibles to me, turn them on, whatever you need to do to the book of Psalm chapter 46 this morning, Psalm 46. The book of Psalms is easy to find. If you open up your Bible right to the middle, you'll be right in the book of Psalms. And again, we'll be in Psalm 46. For those of you online, uh, we are in the NIV version. Psalm 46 says this, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, underline that word, therefore. Another thing you don't go to hell for is writing in your Bible, okay? Underline the word, therefore, circle it, highlight it. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love this psalm. Right in the beginning, the author gives us a reason to hope, and then God himself sums up the hope that is in him in the last verse of this. And so it's sandwiched between these two messages of hope. This passage of scripture and its call to be still and find refuge in God is a very personal one for me specifically. It's personal for two reasons. First, like I said before, I, I, I've been doing this a long time, and so I get caught up so often in working for God that sometimes I can forget simply to be with God for the sake of being with Him. Simply be with Him. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that yourself. Second, when you've pastored this long, you see many, many, many pastors break, quit, fail, 
get lost. And so before we break down this scripture, I want to share some t- statistics with you. These statistics are found in the book Replenished by Lance Witt, and they were compiled with research by the Barna Group, Focus on the Family, Fuller Seminary, and the Institute of Church Leadership Development. I also want to note that these are pre-COVID numbers, and so it is actually worse now. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry permanently each month in this country. 80% of pastors and 85% of their spouses feel discouraged in their roles. 70% of pastors do not have a close friend, confidant, or mentor. Over 50% of pastors are so discouraged they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. That's staggering when you consider that there are still 1,500 a month leaving anyway. Over 50% of pastors' wives feel that their husband entering ministry was the most destructive thing to happen to their families. 30% of pastors said they had either been in an ongoing affair or had a one-time sexual encounter with a parishioner. 71% of pastors stated they were burning out and they battled depression on a weekly and even daily basis. One and only one of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a minister. You go, why on earth do you want this job? (laughs) Lance Witt goes on to write, it is the story of a neglected soul. (laughs) I'm going to need that for this quote, so hang on. It's a story of a neglected soul and a mismanaged character. When, leader, when leaders neglect their interior life, they run the risk of prostituting the sacred gift of leadership, and they run the risk of being destructive instead of productive. Now, you might say to yourself, man, that is horrible. That sounds terrible, but what does that really have to do with me? The truth is, is that many of us deal with burnout, isolation, and lack of healthy spiritual and physical intimacy. And I believe it's for the same reasons that pastors struggle with these things. It goes back to the commandment to observe Sabbath, Sabbath rest. Now we would need a whole other sermon to actually talk about what Sabbath rest is, why we still observe it, and specifically how to practice it. But I do have some practical ways I think that we can enter a rest lifestyle specifically as we enter into 2021. Now, as I was winding down my time as a pastor in Oceanside, the the elders called me and said, hey, we would love to give you a sabbatical. Now, as a pastor, sometimes that's code word for you're fired. So I was like, hey, are you, you guys firing me? Is everything okay? And they said, no, 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 listen, we know that you are getting ready to leave And we really want to make sure that whatever God calls you to next, that you are healthy and ready to take it on because we know that whatever God calls you to will be challenging. And so we want to make sure that we, as people who have served alongside of you, that we are faithful and that we love you enough to get you to the next place, not tired, but healthy and and rested. And uh, I love those guys, those men, for their ways that they continue to care for me. 
And so um, they gave me a true sabbatical. It was six weeks. It was uh, specific. It involved seeing a counselor. It had some specific things that I had to do. But ultimately, the goal of that was to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me in this time? And as I rested and listened to the Lord speak, one of the biggest things that he showed me was that I was living with a hurried spirit. Now, the Lord once showed my wife and me that we would always be busy. We would always have busy lives. Busyness is not a problem. A hurried spirit is. And so what do we do about it? Well, we all can't take six weeks to figure that out. And so I want to share with you a little bit about what God showed me. And I believe the answer lies in Psalm 46. And so if we would go back there this morning and continue to break this down, let's look at this in detail. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. That word refuge literally means a shelter or a cave. It's like a place to come in from out of the storm is what that means. It's a place of safety. The word strength means might, power, and strength, but it's not limited to physical strength. It actually implies both physical and mental strength. The phrase ever-present doesn't just mean there. It means actually the highest degree of help, the most power and abundance of what is needed, more than enough or sufficient. Help means assistance, support, influence, Sucker, which just means bringing aid in times of trouble. And that word translated as trouble is any event that causes distress or pain. Once again, it's not just physical. It can refer to physical trouble, but its emphasis is the emotional pain, the emotional toil, the emotional burden and distress of a situation. Remind anybody of 2020? In other words... The most safety, the most assistance, the most of what we need, more than anywhere else, is found in who God is and where God is at. So let me paraphrase that first verse for you. When we are distressed, exhausted, beat up, and anxious because of what's going on in life, whether it's physical or mental, we can literally find rest and shelter in Him, and He will be the strength we need for the given situation. Some of us were looking at 2021 as a gift, and some of you are already trying to figure out how to return her. (laughs) Let's continue on, looking at verse 2 and 3. Therefore, I asked you to underline that before, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, with their surging. Any time in scripture that we see the word therefore or we see the word so, what we see then is we have to pay attention to what is before it. Because what he's saying is what comes next is only a result of what happened before. So because God is the ever-present help in time of trouble, because he is that strength, we will not fear. Though And then he names all these horrible things. It's as if the author anticipated our responses, but you don't understand what's going on. You haven't seen COVID. You haven't seen 2020. You didn't see what we've been through. And he says, because of who God is and what God has done, therefore, even if all of these things happen, this too, it's going to be okay. Now, side note, some of you are going, yeah, but I don't know if this author knew it was going to happen all those years ago. 
I mean, some of you are wondering if 2020 is the end of the world. I, I just want you to know, don't worry. I'm pretty sure the Bible says that the Chargers have to win the Super Bowl before Jesus comes back, so it's going to be quite a while. We'll be, we'll be okay. In verses 2 to 3, the author uses poetic language to convey absolute chaos. He mentions earthquakes and landslides, so obviously he's from L.A., And what he's saying, though, is because we find the most safety, the most assistance, the most protection, the most help, the most of what we need in God, we don't have to fear when there's utter chaos and destruction in our lives. It doesn't matter how great it is. It doesn't matter how big of a thing that we're facing, not to minimize what we're facing, but what he's saying is that God and the presence of God is bigger than all of those things. The author says, let it come. Let it come. I'm with God. In fact, he's going to contrast the difference between the Lord's presence inside the city and what is happening outside of the walls of the city. Let's continue on with verses four and five. There's an abrupt change here. He goes from this chaos to this peace. He says in verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. First, we see the contrast of the river here. The river brings joy. And you go, what does joy have to do with the river in the midst of this incredible chaos? But it's a picture of what we see in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 verses 1 to 2 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Real quick, where does it say the river is flowing out of? The throne of God and of the Lamb. That's Jesus. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It's incredible word of peace right in the middle of this chaos and we see it comes right from Jesus. In verse 6, we see that things are raging outside of the city outside of the city and yet they do not affect the peace of the city inside. Why? Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, I love this translation the Lord Almighty is actually the name of God. It's a, a, there's different names in scripture that are used to describe who God is. And one of the names that's used is Yahweh Sebaoth, Yahweh Sebaoth. And it denotes the God who is powerful over all things spiritual and over all things physical. If you think about it, it's the God that spoke the world into existence, the God that rules over everything. I love the New Living Translation translate it, translates it the Lord of heaven's armies, the God who brings the undefeatable army with him. And so when everything around you is in complete chaos or destruction, do we want to trust in our strength or in his? Now this, it makes sense here. The problem is when we actually go to live it out, and this is a lot of the Christian life, we go, yeah, yeah, I I get that God's in charge, and yet it doesn't seem like he's moving in the ways that I, I want or I expect, or this doesn't make sense. And so we begin to take back control from God because we think, God, you've forgotten about me. You've abandoned me. I don't know where you are. I need to make sure that I'm going to be okay. 
And so the author reminds us by using this name that the God who's in charge here, the God he's speaking of is the God that is over all things. And so if you're taking notes today, we have two specific observations to help us have unhurried spirits in the middle of the busyness of our lives. This is our first observation for the day. Be still. Be still. That phrase, be still, literally means stop your fighting, relax, sink into, relent, stop doing what you're doing, give up your efforts. Now, it doesn't mean quit. What it means is to say, I realize in my own strength that I am not the one who has the strength what's necessary to fight this fight. The one that needs to fight this battle for me, whether it's physical or mental, is Yahweh Sabaoth. Be still and know that I'm God. But there's more to this. This word, this phrase, be still and know that I'm God, it's really interesting. In the original language, is actually directed both inside the city and outside the city. I find that fascinating because God is speaking to both for the out, things outside. He says, stop, I am God. You have no power here. I am over all things. But for those inside the city, he also says, stop. Remember that I am God. Trust and rest in my power, in my strength, in my presence. Let me show you the perfect example of this from another place in scripture. In the book of Mark chapter 4, Verses 35 to 41, if you're trying to turn there, the Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus has always existed. The Old Testament is before Jesus came and put on human nature in addition to his God nature. He's always been God. In the New Testament, he comes and puts on human nature. He becomes fully man. The New Testament starts with the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so the book of Mark, chapter four, verses 35 to 41 says this. That day when evening came, he, this is Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus addresses the storm outside the boat and inside the boat. Like me, many of you have difficulty being quiet and still, especially in the midst of hardship and chaos and the junk that makes life, life. But I want to point out something to you. It wasn't the first wave of the boat that crashed when they turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care? There was time that passed. It got to the place where the boat was sinking. There's time. And in each of our lives, we don't know how long that chaos is going to rage. We don't know how long 2021 is going to resemble 2020. 
We don't know how long we will have to face the hardships, the difficulties. We don't know what will become our true reality and what won't. And there is a sense of frustration. There's a sense of of difficulty that just comes with that. There's a burden. There's an exhaustion that can come. And I want to remind you that even if Jesus doesn't answer those things right away, it doesn't mean that he isn't Yahweh Sabaoth. But what he wants us to do is Sabbath, to rest, to focus on him, to stop squirming, to stop trying to get out of everything that we're going through this difficulty. You've heard the saying, God opens the door, or God closes the door so he can open a window. You guys heard that before? The truth is that more often than not, I've found in my life that God closes the door so the house can fall on you. Because what I find is that when things are really difficult and I try to squirm my way out of them, I try to fight my way out of them, I miss what God is trying to get out of my life. Those things, those areas that I'm still trying to accomplish on my own, the things I can do in my own strength. And God says, stop. I want to get to this area, but you keep moving. You're not hearing me. You're not listening because you're fighting so hard against what I'm trying to do in you. Now, some of us have heard about Sabbath before, but more often than not, we turn Sabbath into, well, that's just Sunday. That means that we leave that day for church and we, we, we go to check a box and get that done, but that's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath is about orienting our hearts to God. It's about resting in who he is. It's about enjoying who God is. That can be done in all kinds of ways. Certainly, it can be in coming to church and being refreshed and renewed and seeing community and being a part of something bigger than ourselves. That is definitely a part of Sabbath, but only when it's about orienting our hearts to God and saying, God, you are good and you are worthy and praising and thanking and worshiping him, not when it's to come and get something for ourselves or to check a box off. It's about enjoying his creation. Sabbath can be about walking on the beach and enjoying what God has done. It can be about seeing a sunset. It can be about hanging out with friends and enjoying dinner together. Sabbath is about where our posture of our heart is in those moments more than what it is that we're trying, more than what it is that we're doing. When do we set aside time to listen and hear from God? When do we set aside time to be still and hear what he's doing. Where is our weekly Sabbath rest? In his book, The Imperfect Pastor, Zach Eswine writes, quiet is a means of God's grace. Within it, God shows us our inner poverty and misguided ambitions. He has waited patiently with a quiet heart while we've brewed our lives into storm and froth, constantly interrupting him. Did you catch that? We're so busy, we constantly interrupt the God that is trying to actually speak to us because we don't have time to hear him in all of our hurriedness. We have to learn to be still, but that takes practice. And to be honest, it takes a willingness to be alone with God. It takes a willingness to be alone with God. This is our second observation for the day. Know God. To know God. That phrase, know I am God, means to learn, to realize, to observe, to notice, to find out how it is with, to care about enough to look into. In other words, it's a process. It happens over time. It's a process of seeking out who he is and discovering as much as we can about him who he is and what he's done and who that makes us in light of who he is and what he's done. We can't be simply content in knowing about him. This year, uh, this past year, 
my wife and I hit our 24-year anniversary, and I'll tell you that I have a completely different understanding of love now than when I said I love you when we first started dating. Why? Because I know my wife so much more deeply now than I did then. I know her strength and her flaws much more deeply, and she mine. I know what it means to fight for our marriage now in ways I wouldn't have understood 24 years ago. I know her hopes and her dreams on a level with my own. I know them intimately, and in fact, many of them have overlapped. Because I know her so much more, I'm able to love her so much more because I understand truly what that means. In the same way, the more we know God, the more we understand how deep and how wide his unmerited love is for us, the more we can truly appreciate and understand what that means in who he is and what he's done for us and how we're able to love him. The Bible says that we're to meditate on who God is and to what he's done, to meditate on the scriptures. Now, Eastern meditation is about clearing your mind and not having anything there, but biblical meditation is actually the opposite of that. It's been described as thinking furiously on. And so when we meditate about who God is, we are to think furiously about who God is and what he's done. When we do that, it changes everything, even the way that we pray. And here's something I've learned. When I'm struggling with a problem in my life that feels like I'm drowning, like the seas are raging, like there is just nothing else to do. If I come to Jesus in prayer without thinking about him, if I come to him and just begin to ask for what I need, to begin to ask for the things that I want in my life, I interrupt the God who wants to show me how faithful he is. But when I stop and I'm quiet and I think about all the ways that God has been faithful through the years, when I begin to see all the ways that he has miraculously rescued and saved me, it's overwhelming how much more I appreciate the faithfulness, the goodness, the strength of God. It blows me away every time. And what happens is my prayers actually start with gratitude, with thankfulness. And I come to God and say, God, what, what do you have for me in this moment? And you know what's interesting? More often than not, God actually brings up an issue I didn't even think was the issue. And he begins to deal with that in my life. And that somehow flips the script on everything else that I'm facing and dealing with in my life. My prayer is no less fervent, but my prayer becomes full of hope because I know what God has already done. And so I'm praying to a God who has come through for me over and over and over again. It's incredible. It's this morning. I want to encourage us to do something practical about it. This morning, I want to encourage us to not just hear this message, but for it to impact us in a way where we go back and we, we actually do something about it. And here's what I would like us to do this morning. Whether you're just checking this Jesus thing out for the first time, or you're still new to it, or you've been an apprentice of Jesus your entire life, I want you to ask yourself this morning, do I know Jesus? Not just know all about him. But are you in the process of saying, God, what are you all about? What have you done? Who are you? And who does that make me in light of who you are? The second thing is, 
I would love us to commit to being with him for a specific time this week, not with an agenda, not to commit our Bible study, not to do our regular morning reading, not to accomplish something, but simply to be with him for the sake of being with him. Do it before, not while you're driving in your car. Again, not during your devotion time, not while you're reading your scriptures. You don't even need to accomplish anything. Okay, so those of you who are perfectionists, you have, you know, your lists are the most sacred thing in your life. It's okay, I'm gonna tell you now, to not accomplish anything when you're with God to simply be with him and let him accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life, okay? If you have a problem, tell God, Pastor Jared told you, it's okay. But be practiced being still and knowing he is God. And I'd love to hear what God does in you this week. And so please make make sure that you share that with me. I wanna hear those stories. It's gonna be good, all right? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you have overwhelmingly overwhelmingly come through and been faithful in our lives. For the ways that we have seen it, and Lord, for so many ways we've never seen it. For the things that we see you do miraculously, and we, we, we just can't even understand how you could have accomplished something that great, and for the ways that we will never see or understand until we stand with you and understand what you're all about. Lord, for the things in our life, whether it be physical, whether it's sickness, whether it's pain, whether it's just emotional struggle, whether it's loneliness or isolation, whether it's, Lord, just family, whether it's drama, whether it's work, whether it's no work, whatever it is in our life that we are facing, we right now surrender to you and say, you are Yahweh Sabaoth. You are the God of the angel armies, the unconquerable one, the God who is over all. We love you. We surrender to you. We thank you. We praise you. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.